podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 26th of May, and we are brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com. And our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network. You can check out their services at LibertyShield.com, choose some hardware or software packages, use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off checkout. If you want to keep your data safe online, and be able to access things that territorially you wouldn't normally be able to access, check out libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, it is Wednesday. It is Europa League final day. Villarreal versus Manchester United from Gdansk. United looks set to be without Harry Maguire who doesn't appear to be winning his battle to be fit for this game. Now, Villarreal are not without injuries as well. Samuel Chukwueze has missed every game since his injury against Arsenal in the second leg of the semi-final. United also expected to be without Anthony Martial. Maguire is the huge blow here. Maguire is obviously the foundational point of their defence. He obviously has his flaws, but he is their best central defender. He's key to how they build from the back as well. Without him, you're probably looking at Eric Bailly having to come in and Lindelof moving over to the left side. That's changing two positions to solve one issue. It's not ideal in United's preparation for this game. The Martial thing is a blow as well because... Even if he's not starting, he's a great weapon to have off the bench. Very talented player, obviously. And then Fred. Fred could potentially miss out on this game as well. He's obviously been super important in midfield next to Scott McTominay. It allows Paul Pogba to play a more advanced role, normally from the left with Bruno as a 10, and then Rashford switches across to the right. But it looks like Fred should be okay. It looks like McTominay should be okay. It is just Maguire and Martial. However... It's not ideal either to be going into a European final with your two first-choice centre midfielders both carrying issues. For Villarreal, Unai Emery's won this competition three times before. He's gotten to a final with Arsenal. He knows this competition inside out. He knows how to win this competition. In terms of their team, Geronimo Rulli, formerly of Manchester City for a brief period of time, better known for a spell at Real Sociedad, he has been the Europa League goalkeeper. Sergio Asenio has been the um, the league goalkeeper. Really has played in all bar one of the Europa League games. Whether or not they stick with Ruli, we don't know yet. I hope they do. He deserves it. At centre-back, you're most likely looking at Raul Albiol and Pau Torres. 
Mario Gasper is the club captain and nominally the right back, but he's barely played in the Europa League this year. Juan Voigt of Tottenham has played right back quite a bit. They have multiple options at left back. Pedraza, Alberto Moreno, Purvis Estupinen of formerly of Watford. The defence, we're not quite sure yet what it's going to be, but they do have a lot of options. Funes Mori, formerly of Everton, another option they could play at centre-back. Loads of options, loads of chances for Emery to tinker. Plenty of choice there. In midfield, Manu Traguerez plays pretty much every game. Danny Pareo plays pretty much every game. It is a matter of who plays with them. If he's fit, Chukwueze most likely starts. If he's not, Moy Gomez perhaps comes in. Jeremy Pino perhaps comes in. Etienne Capoue could come in. And Triquerez could play out wide. Cocky is there and he hasn't played a whole bunch recently. But he's an option for them if fit. So they do have a strong squad of midfielders as well. Up front, they've got three good options. They've got Gerard Moreno, who will start no matter what. He is their main man, their main goal scorer. He's been brilliant this season. 29 goals in 45 games. Six in this Europa League campaign. Next to him, Carlos Baca, formerly of Sevilla, of AC Milan, or Paco Alsalsa, formerly of Valencia and Borussia Dortmund. Either of those could start next to him. Alsalsa is probably the more dangerous one, but he is more suited generally to coming off the bench. And Baca is a proper pain in the backside. He will run and harry and annoy defenders all game long. So lots of options here for Villarreal. It is a strong squad. For a team that finished 7th in La Liga, it's a very strong squad. It wouldn't need much, I don't believe, to make it a Champions League caliber squad. One at centre-back. I'd like an upgrade in the goal. I like both goalkeepers, but I think they're both better suited to being you know, backups. Um, replace Gasper at right back. One more body in midfield. And I think that's a Champions League caliber squad. Not a title winner, not a Champions League winner, just a Champions League caliber squad. It's a dangerous t- team. United are going to have to respect them. Without Maguire, United could play a higher line. They could be a bit more open. That may not be the best idea, especially, especially if Chuck Wesley plays with his pace, his ability to run, run in behind, and his trickery on the ball. Uh, he could give United some problems, and I think Moreno is likely to cause them a lot of trouble, regardless of who plays at centre-back. It's a huge game for United, huge game for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, potential to win his first trophy as Manchester United manager. This is a trophy they won, obviously, under Mourinho in his first season there. They finished second in the league. If Ole can get Europa League on top of that, he's in a position of strength and can go and demand his new contract. 8pm kickoff. From Gdansk should be an absolute belter of a game. Well worth your while watching this one tonight. It's just come out that uh, Juventus have announced that Fabio Paratici, the sporting director, has left the club. Um, He has done a fairly terrible job, it must be said. Now, he used to be head of recruitment. When Beppe Morata ran Juventus, he was basically head of recruitment. And in that role, he was excellent. Those two had come from, I believe, Sampdoria. I want to say Sampdoria to Juve were the architects of all the good that happened at Juve. 
Maratha left and went into Milan. He's the architect of what's happened at Milan at, at Inter now with the title they've just won. And Maratta, unfortunately, has made big mistakes over his time. The Higuain signing, it was an attempt to end their only rival in the league, Napoli, by taking their best player. But they paid €90 million Euro for him, and it didn't really work. The Cristiano deal, €100 million for a guy who was well into his 30s. The aim being to go and win the Champions League, and they've gotten worse in the Champions League since Ronaldo arrived. And now they've lost their league title. Nine years in a row, they won it. This year, they scrape into the Champions League in fourth. And now face major problems with regards to whether they're actually going to be allowed play in it or not. There are reports that UEFA are looking at dismissing Juventus, Barcelona and Real Madrid from next season's competition. I don't think there's any chance it happens. I don't think they have the, that UEFA have the courage to do it. Because the broadcasters won't allow it. No broadcasters turning around and saying, you know, it's fine, we don't want Cristiano Ronaldo, we'd rather have Napoli. No broadcasters saying, we don't want Real Madrid, we don't want Messi in Barcelona, we'd rather have Sociedad and Betis. Nobody's saying that. Fans might say it, neutral fans might prefer it, but no broadcaster's going to allow that. Contracts are set in stone. There's not a chance it happens. What Even if, even if they did have the courage to do it, they know it would get overturned at the court of arbitration so not a chance it happens but it's it's a big issue for Juventus that their wage bill is out of control Aaron Ramsey being the other massive misstep 400,000 euro a week to a fairly run-of-the-mill midfielder who in reality should not be getting anywhere near that Juventus team they have multiple midfielders better better than him in pretty much every position he shouldn't be getting a look in but he has been because Pirlo and I mean, that's whoever takes over from Paratici, that's the first big question. What do you do with Pirlo? Then you've got to answer, what do you do with Cristiano? I think Juventus would like him to leave. I think it would have almost benefited them more to miss out on the Champions League and been able to shift him and move him on somewhere. They're paying him 80 million euro a year, something in that kind of region, plus bonuses. Uh, it, it's just not a good situation. Not a good situation for them at all. Now, he's still obviously a productive goal scorer, but he offers absolutely nothing else. At this point in his career, he is a goal scorer and nothing else. And if he's not scoring goals, he's holding the team back. His contract holds the club back. So Juventus have big questions to answer, but Paratici had to leave. He had to go. I think Pirlo should go as well. I think Ronaldo should go. They should try and shift on. Um, Ramsey, even if they have to pay him to go away, move him on, get your wage bill down, and get back to being what you were great at when you were building squads under Conte and Allegri. Tremendous recruitment year after year. The recruitment was on point. They rarely had a misstep. They brought in Pogba, discarded by United on a free. They brought in Pirlo, discarded by AC Milan. They brought in Vidal for 10 million. They brought in Carlos Tevez for 10 million. Lichtsteiner came from Napoli for about eight, from Lazio rather, for about eight million. Um, the Ghanaian left back Asamoa, who's a central midfielder that they converted, I think he came from Udinese for a, a song as well. Barzagli had been cast off. He, he was part of the World Cup squad in 06, went from Palermo, I think, to Wolfsburg, didn't settle. Juventus picked him up for little or nothing. 
brought him back, made him part of that back three with, with Bonucci and Cialini. That was the foundation for the team. Pirlo in front, Marquisio from the academy in rotation with, with Vidal and Pogba, although in the early years it was Marquisio and Vidal. Pogba became part of it a couple of years after. But that midfield core was brilliant. Lichtsteiner on the right, Asamoah on the left, Tevez up front, and they had a, a multitude of different strikers that went with him. Mandzukic, uh, Loriente, a bunch of different guys were there. But it always worked. Nine titles in a row, and then under Allegri, two Champions League finals. Disappointing to lose them both, obviously. But they were there or thereabouts. They were a major force, and they did it smartly. Every year, they rarely spent big money. The wage bill was well under control. Now, in the last year, they've been begging Jeep to redo the contract, begging Nike to redo the contract. They've got to get back to being what made them great. What they've done in the last three years or so, not great at all. Um, right, what I wanted to do today is take a look at the 20 teams that have just completed the Premier League season. And just ask some questions. What questions do they need to address now and then in kind of the near future? Now in the next two years, say. So we'll start at the bottom of the table. Sheffield United. First thing, who's going to be the new manager? Chris Wilder left. They went with the caretaker approach. They were going down regardless. Now they need to make a decision. And it needs to be a decision with the long term in in mind it can't just be a short term oh this guy's here let's get him this has to be someone they're going to commit to can't just grab a manager throw him in not to a club like this not to a club that was built by wilder a team that was built and crafted by wilder you're going to have to get someone in long term who's going to have his own vision and hopefully be able to transition away because it's going to be a transition away from the wilder approach you can't just jump from what wilder had in place to something else it's why they played back three the entire rest of the season. Heckenbottom isn't a back three manager, but he had to keep with it because that's what they had available. What's the transfer approach going to be? Is question two for me. Are they going to try and reload and come straight back up? They spent a lot of money last summer. They spent quite a bit since coming up. You've got some big money contracts there. Ollie McBurney, Brewster, Ramsdale, Mousset, Sander Berger, obviously, but I think he's the one that will leave. I don't imagine he'll stick around to play in the championship. If they could keep him, it'd be tremendous, but I don't think they'll be able to. But do they go with a youthful approach, build around Brewster, Jebison up front, um, Ramsdale in goal, and have a sustainable approach or do they go for more experienced players who can help them bounce back up into the Premier League? I think, ideally, they already have most of those experienced players in-house. Basham, Egan, O'Connell. You've got the uh, Jack O'Connell to come back, obviously, from the injury. That's, that's the big one for them. Um, and Stevens these are experienced players who can help, help you come back up you've got the likes of Bogle and Lowe those younger players as well I think if they go for 
some younger players to fill out the squad and replace the one or two senior players that need replacing. So we know Lundstrom's going in all likelihood, and we know Berger will probably leave. So they'll need one in midfield. I think you could do with one more young player in midfield, someone who's a, potentially a step up from Norwood and Fleck. I think up front they're fine. Um, it wouldn't be surprising if Go- if McGoldrick left and got a Premier League move, but they'll still have Brewster, Jebison, McBurney, and Mousset, and Billy Sharp if he sticks around. They'll have Osborne in midfield as a, as a 10, a creative type, so they could use him instead of Fleck in some games. But I think one in midfield, one at centre-back, and more of a commitment to the youth. And it also you also have to factor in, if a new manager wants to play 4-4-2, for example, they don't own a single winger. There is not a winger in the building. So that's something they'll have to address as well. And then my final question is, what are they going to do with Rian Brewster? Because he is the club record signing. They paid $23 million, rising to 26 to bring Rian Brewster in from Liverpool. And it's been a disaster. It has been an absolute unmitigated disaster of a season for him and for the club. He is a super talented striker, a natural goal scorer, but in 27 Premier League appearances, zero goals, zero assists. In 31 appearances in all competitions, zero goals, zero assists. Now, he did only play 1,295 minutes, which is not nearly enough football at his age. He needs to be playing more. When you've spent that type of money, he absolutely needs to be playing more. I think Brewster's somebody that they need to be very careful with over the next year or so. Because if he has another bad season, it could be very difficult to ever recover any value from him. Now, he is only 21, so very, very young, lots of time on his side. But I think they need to build a team that is going to get the best out of him. I think he can fire you back into the Premier League. But I think you're going to make need to make the right additions to do so. I think you're going to need to change the shape, get some wide players in, and get more balls into the box. To him. He's a natural, instinctive finisher. Moving on to West Bromwich Albion, also obviously relegated. First question, who's going to be the new manager? Slavin Bilic sacked, Big Sam came in, Big Sam has now left. Whether he made that decision himself or they made it for him, we don't know. He's framing it and they're framing it like he's framing it like it was his decision. They're framing it as a mutual decision. The way Sam was acting, it tells me that it was their decision. Um again, you've got to look at what's the approach going to be. Are they going to look to bounce back up? They've been tagged as a yo-yo club. I don't think it's something they actually like or enjoy being being tagged as. But I suppose, in a way, it means that every season is fun. Every season is excitement. You're either challenging for the promotion in the championship or you're battling relegation in the Premier League. So there's always something going on. There's none of this Crystal Palace nonsense finishing 13th or 14th every year. Though I do think they'd like that for a couple of years and build build up their cash reserves with all that nice... Premier League TV money. And then Matthias Pereira. Third question will be Matthias Pereira. What's their breaking point on him? We saw Norwich go down last season. And 
set prices on players and basically stick to them. The only one they dropped a little bit on was Jamal Lewis, but I think that was... I think they owed him that because they priced him out of the move to Liverpool, so I think they were able, to, they were willing to take a little bit less because he was so unhappy. But they kept uh, Todd Cantwell against his wishes. They kept Emi Buendia, who wanted to leave. They kept Max Ahrens, who wanted to leave. They got the price for Godfrey. But the other three that stayed, initially didn't want to be there. Buendia had a great season. Ahrens had a good season. Cantwell had a falling out with Farka, but came back in then and was productive for them. Can West Brom do the same thing? Can they turn to Pereira, Diangana, Carolyn Grant, who may not want to play in the championship, who didn't sign to play in the championship, and say, we're keeping you. If we get offered our price, you can go, but if not, we're keeping you. So for Grant, I think they paid 15. I, I think it'd be hard to get many more than that, um, considering Big Sam barely played him. Diangana had a bit of a rough season, so I think whatever they paid, 18 million maybe, I think that's kind of going to be the price for him. But Pereira had a really good season. So if they set a price on him of 40 million, which is the fee that's been banded about, will they be willing to take any less than that? And if so, how much less? Would they take 35 from? I think any less than that, you start to look a little bit weak. But would you take 35 from, or is the price 40? If they can keep him with Diangana and Grant, they have an, an exceptionally good chance of coming straight back up. They will need additions in midfield. And again, this goes back to the approach question. What do you do? Do you commit to more younger players, more players in the Grant, Diangana, Pereira age group who can be blended together? You should still have the quality to come up. You're going to need a couple in defence and a couple in midfield because you lose Gallagher, Yakuzlu and Maitland-Niles from the midfield. Now, maybe you can get Gallagher back in on loan, potentially. I think he'll have Premier League options, but maybe you could get him in. Or do you have to go and find other loans? Do you go the loan route? Do you go the permanent route? Do you bring in older players? Or again, do you go with that kind of younger movement and try and build a team, not do it in stages? Fulham. Scott Parker. What are they doing with Scott Parker? We still don't know. Season's been over now for three days. There's been not a word whether Parker is staying or going. I think he should go. I, I don't think he's suited to the job. He did a really good job last year bringing them up, must be said. Unfortunately, he probably did too good a job because they weren't really ready to come up. They didn't really have the squad to come up, especially in a pandemic. Now, they added really well to the squad. But they did it all with loans. So all of those loans need to be replaced. Now, they could potentially keep Josh Madger. Maybe Luckman would stick around. He had a really good season for them. You're almost certainly going to lose Zambo. You're going to lose Lamina. So you're going to need bodies in midfield. Anderson is leaving. There's the leader of your defense gone, the captain of the team gone. Aina is going to go. They could afford him. Eight million, I think, is what Torino are asking. Whether he'd be willing to go to the championship or not, I don't know. But they do have Tete. They do have Robinson. So let, right back and left back are fine. Tosin at centre back is very good. You need one in there. They'll need a goalkeeper because Ariola's away. They do have Roddick, but, you know, I'd be looking for someone better. 
So you've got to ask, who's the manager going to be? What's the approach going to be? Again, like the other teams, do you try and come straight back up? Or are you going to try and build a culture? Are you going to try and build a team that can come up and develop and stick together and be added to? And then the last question is, what's the investment level going to be? Because the Cans have spent quite a bit of money at Fulham. They brought them up. They spent a lot of money. They went back down. They lost a lot of money. They came back up. They went with the loan approach last summer. Didn't spend a ton of money. Some loan fees, but not a ton of money going out. How much investment are they going to be willing to make in this team in the championship? Now, they've just spent quite a bit of money on Craven Cottage. So does that factor in? Does that take away from the potential to spend money on players? Burnley. First question, biggest question. Is Sean Dyche staying? Because I think he's going to have offers. And he may well have taken Burnley as far as he can. Two top half finishes, sustainable Premier League team. Always made a profit under his watch. But I think he's going to have offers where he's going to be able to go, spend more, have bigger ambitions, get more backing, you know, more potential for growth. That is linked to the second question is, what is the level of investment going to be? The previous owners didn't like spending money. Last summer, they spent literally nothing, half a million. January, the new owners were in place, didn't spend any money. They owe it to Sean Dyche to spend big. If he sticks around, they owe it to him. I'm not talking 40, 50 million here, but 25 to 30. And Dyche will work wonders with that money. But will that money be new investment or third question, will it be from the sale of a James Tarkovsky and Nick Pope? How long can you keep those players? Tarkovsky, I think, has a year left in his contract. Pope is now 29. This may be the summer where both of those have to go. Where they would go, I think Tarkovsky would be a good fit for West Ham. If Moyes is looking for a Jaggy Elka type, I think Tarkovsky's a good fit. He's a much better defender than Craig Dawson who Moyes got quite a bit out of this season. Nick Pope, potentially again, West Ham. Fabianski's 35. Their backup goalkeeper is Darren Randolph, who's also 35. Nick Pope at 29, pushing 30 next year. Could be a good fit. I think he's England's best goalkeeper right now. Tottenham could do with an upgrade in goal. Everton could do with an upgrade in goal. Wolves may need a new goalkeeper if the Rui Patricio rumours are true. Crystal Palace, though, I don't think they'd spend the money. But if Dyche went there, maybe he could convince them. I think they've got big question marks over both of those two. McNeil might stick around one more year. But will Dyche still be there? What's the level of investment going to be? And what happens with Tarkovsky and Pope? Um, For Brighton, he's Basima. Does he stay? Does he go? Does he want to go? There's been rumours he does. If he does, they're going to have to replace him in midfield. He's been their best player this past season. Very underrated by a lot of people. Now, I don't think he's got a sky-high ceiling, but I definitely think he can go and play for a top club and be a reliable player. I think he could go into the Liverpool team instead of Ginny Wijnaldum and give you 
seven, seven and a half out of ten every week. I don't think he'll give you eights and nines on a regular basis. I don't think there's the potential for him to become a great midfielder, but I think he's a good midfielder who'll border on very good for the next five, six years, and that, that's fine. For Arsenal, he could go in, start next to Thomas Partey. That's a good blend, a good mix. I think he'd be fine there as well. They may have trouble keeping him, and if they do lose him, who do they replace him with? How much money will they spend to replace him? Because the second question is, what is their financial situation? They have a lot of debt. Now, most of it is to the owner, but they've been hammered by COVID. We saw them pull back last summer. They were going big on Darwin Nunes. They were in for Nico Gonzalez. They pulled out of, well, they didn't get either of them. They pulled out of the Gonzalez deal. Nunes went to Benfica and they didn't do anything. Then they brought in Danny Welbeck on a free. So what's their financial situation? Is there money available? And then the third question is, can they get the striker that they need? Because defensively, they were good this season. In midfield, they were largely good this season. And in attack, they were creative, they were inventive, the movement was good. They created a ton of great chances and had nobody to put the ball in the net. So can they get the striker in that they need? Because they are, I believe, a striker away from challenging for 10th. This season, they finished 16th. But I think if you go back and look through their results and look at their XG in those games, I think you'll see 12 to 15 points that they lost out on that they could have gotten if they'd had a proper striker up front. And I'm not talking about a Lewandowski. I'm not talking about a world-class striker. I'm talking about Voot Weghorst. That's who I think they could have got last summer, who I think would do a great job and would get them 15 to 18 goals and goals at big times. And I think he'd bring more than out of Mope and Trossard and Connolly and McAllister as well. Southampton finished 15th. Biggest question to me, Danny Ings. Does he stay? Does he go? One year left in his contract. Doesn't seem overly keen on extending. Now, when you look at the top clubs in the league, he'd be a squad player at City. I don't even think he'd make the bench at United. He'd be a squad player at Liverpool. Again, I don't think he'd make the bench at Chelsea. Leicester as a Vardy replacement? Possibly. But would Leicester commit that type of money to a guy with those injury problems? Seems unlikely. West Ham could do with a striker. But is him and Antonio a particularly good fit? Will Moyes play with two up front? He's not an option for Tottenham unless Harry Kane leaves. I don't see that Arsenal will will look for him. Don't think they need a striker this summer. Leeds, I mean, him and Bamford as a two could work really well, but Bielsa doesn't tend to play a two. He's not getting in the Everton team over Calvert-Lewin. They've got Moise Keane to come back off loan. They don't need him. Villa's an interesting one. Uh, a Watkins, Ings, Grealish front three could be very, very exciting. There could be a lot of goals in that team. And a good blend of skill. Ings is a finisher. His pace is movement. Watkins has pace. He's incredibly hard worker. Great presser. Good off the ball. Good hold up play. And then Grealish's creativity off the left. 
Villa could be a really interesting fit. But will he be their first choice? Would they prefer Tammy Abraham? Someone who can lead the line a bit more? But Villa would be interesting for him. Now, I do think Villa is a step up from Southampton. And I think Villa are a team going places. But Danny Ings, like I say, they may prefer Tammy Abraham because of Danny Ings' injury history, because of his age. He'll be 29 this summer. Southampton need to figure out what they're going to do with Ings. And Ings needs to look around and see, where can I go? Where can I start? Because after that, I mean, Wolves won't buy him because he's not Portuguese. I don't think he's going to want to go to Crystal Palace, which isn't a step up. Brighton would be a sidewards move, and he would, he would score for fun at Brighton. But it's a sidewards move, and it's a smaller club. In, in reality, it is a smaller club than Southampton. Um, I'd love to see him back at Burnley. I think him and Chris Wood would cause chaos. But I don't think Burnley will have the money. And if they had the fee, I don't think they'd have the wages. The team's coming up. I mean, Norwich aren't going to pay that type of money. Watford might, but does is that an upward move? I don't think so. Brentford have Ivan Tony if they come up, so they're not going to look for him. And I don't think Swansea's a, an ideal move for him either. So it's hard to see where Ings could go. Other than, say, Villa, West Ham and Leicester. And potentially be a starter in a better situation than he's in now. There's other clubs he'd go to and be a starter, but it's either a sideways move or a downward move. Ings needs to make that decision. The club needs to fight, figure it out quite soon. Because if he's not going to make the decision, they have to make it for him. Second question is over the ownership. Chinese owned. And we know that the Chinese government are pressuring their citizens, to bring their foreign investments back into China, threatening big taxes on people with foreign investment. So that may well see Southampton's owners looking to sell. If they're looking to sell, will they be willing to invest? Which leads me to question three. If they're not willing to invest, will Ralph Hasenhutl stick around? Because he was made promises. Promises haven't really been kept. Understandable last year with a pandemic. Not understandable this year. I know the pandemic is still there, but back-to-back summers, if he doesn't get the investment, I don't know that Ralph will be willing to stick around. Crystal Palace, 14th in the league last year. First question, who will the manager be? There's been loads of names linked. Lampard, Dyche, Howe, a bunch of others. It's the big decision. But they're apparently still two weeks away from making it. Now, I have to believe they've known all season that Hodgy was going one way or another. Either they were telling him to go or he was telling them he was leaving. But there were no talks about a new contract for him. So I believe they've known for a while that Roy Hodgson was leaving. They should be way ahead of the curve in their manager search. To be two weeks away, it's pretty much unacceptable at this point. Second question, then, is what's the vision for the club? What do they want to be? Are they happy to just be in the Premier League? Do they want just a participation ribbon? Is that that okay with them? Or do they want more? Do they want to be a place where 
Wilf Zaha and Eberichi Ezi and players of that ilk can go and perform and thrive and develop? Or do they want to be, you know, an aging team dragging their way to 14th in the league, 44 points, dull football, couple of bright spots. They need to figure out what the vision's going to be. Question three, then, is related to that vision. What do they do with all these players they've got out of contract? They need to get their manager in place. Then they need to figure out, or vice versa, figure out what you want to be and then pick your manager. But for them, they may not have their choice of manager. With a, a lot of work to do, all the contracts that are messy, the Ezzy injury, it may well be that they're somebody else, some, some manager's second choice. Like, for example, if Eddie Howe doesn't get the Celtic job, maybe then he takes the Palace job. Sean Dyche might prefer to stay at Burnley, but if he can't stay at Burnley because the finances just aren't there to support him, then maybe he'll come to Palace. So maybe that's what they have to wait on, is managers to make their decision. From there, you choose your vision. What do you want to be? What is the ambition here? And then from there, you've got to figure out what you're going to do with all those players out of contract. Because you can't just string them along. You can't string them along indefinitely. These players need to be able to you know, go and make their moves. If they're going to leave, they need to be allowed to leave. On to Wolves. Again, the first question has to be manager. Who's it going to be? Bruno Lager looks like the favourite, but there are other names been linked. Paolo Fonseca has been linked. Steven Gerrard has randomly been linked. I don't think that's a, a move for him. Uh, wrong, again, wrong passport. And he's in the Champions League with Rangers. Stay where you are, son. Don't, don't run before you can walk. Let's not pretend that winning the SPL is a, an enormous achievement. It's the same thing as winning League One. And when you've outspent every other team in the league combined over the past three years, it'd be a great failure if you hadn't won the league. Now, he won it in great fashion, but his European performance was more impressive than the domestic performance. Let's see how you do in the Champions League. Let's see you win the title back-to-back. Then you can look at the Premier League and see where you're going to go. But let's not forget that other managers have done better in Scotland than you and not been able to get a Premier League job. Neil Lennon did brilliantly at Celtic the first time around. Best job he could get was Bolton in the Championship. So, Wolves need to figure out who the manager is. As with Southampton, they've got an ownership question. Chinese owned. Rumoured to be for sale. If they're for sale, is there any investment? If there is investment, how are they investing? Is it the George Mendes route? Is he tied to these owners? Would he stick around under new owners? We don't know. And the third question then is Raul Jimenez. And what version of Raul Jimenez they're going to get back? Now, they won't know that. Until opening day of next season, they will not know what Raul Jimenez they're getting back. Because he might look great in training. But match situation is much, much different. So that's something they need to to figure out. And if he's not going to be the same player, or he's not going to have the same type of aggression in his game, then you need to adjust and find compromise. And you need to ensure that you have a quality backup. Not a 19 or an 18-year-old freshman out of Portugal. 
I think they should have kept Willie and Jose. They may still keep him, I don't know. But I think you've got to have a quality backup ready to go in case he has any kind of issue. Or in case you want to play it too. Because you might need to play it too. You might not be able to play him by himself anymore. New manager might not want to play a back three. So they might play with wingers. They could play 4-2-3-1. So you've got to figure those things out. For Newcastle, I think the biggest question is Steve Bruce. Do they keep him 12th, 12th in the league? But it's a bit of a false 12th place, let's be honest. They were dreadful from October onwards. Saved themselves with some decent runs at good times late in the season. But no Newcastle fan, I don't believe, wants Steve Bruce to stay. Maybe some of the older ones who are just happy to you know, be around, be in the Premier League, maybe they're happy enough with him. But I think Newcastle should be aiming for higher. I think Newcastle should be aiming for Europe. And that's not going to happen under Steve Bruce. But we don't know what the aim of the club is. So the second question, what is the aim of the club? Is, is the aim of the club just to be a Premier League team? Is that all Mike Ashley cares about? It has appeared in the past like, that is all he cares about. But then you do see every so often he chucks a bunch of money at it. The summer they signed Jolinton and, and St. Maximum, they spent $80 million that summer or, or close to it. So is he willing to do that again? So investment. Is he willing to put his hand in his pocket and spend big? And again, not, not ridiculous money. We're not talking $90, $100 million, but 50 60 Put some investment. And he spent okay money last summer. Brought in Callum Wilson. Jamal Lewis. But what is the ambition for Newcastle? What is the aim? What is the goal? What's the end game? Is it just to keep them in the Premier League so you can sell them? Probably still have to spend some money to do that. But Bruce. The aim, the ambition and investment. They're the questions for Newcastle. Uh, last club in the bottom half then before we take our break. Aston Villa. Biggest question is Jack Grealish. Is he sticking around? If he is, brilliant. What are you going to do to put around him? If not, how do you replace him? That's the first question. Jack Grealish. Where where does he go? What does he do? What's the price on him if he goes? I've seen people say 100 million. I think that's farcical. I think it's absolutely farcical. Transfers are just out of control. If Jack Grealish is a hundred million pound player, then Mo Salah is a five hundred million pound player, and Mo Salah is not the best player in the world. Kevin De Bruyne is a five hundred and fifty million pound player. So is Virgil Van Dijk because that's the that's the gulf between them and Jack Grealish. Second question: What's the goal for next season? So these are teams that are on the up. Promotion, survival, advancement, what's next? Europe, challenging for Europe. I think Villa will know. Internally, they'll know. I think the ownership will have crafted a path that they believe they can get this club on. But what is the next goal? Is it? Is it merely challenging for Europe? Is it sustaining a mid-table finish? Maybe you just go mid-table again for a season and then you look to take another jump? Or is it another leap? 
because each season it's been a step up for them. Promotion, survival in the Premier League, mid-table. And let's see. If the goal is European football, then question three is, do they have the right manager? Is Dean Smith the right manager to get them top seven, top eight? Is he good enough to do that? If you look at the top eight from last season, Pep is better than him. I think he's a better manager than Oli. But Klopp is clearly better. Tuchel's better. Rodgers is better. Moyes is better. Spurs don't have a manager, but you would be fairly sure that whoever they bring in will be better. Uh, we'll come to that. And then Arsenal. He's a better manager than Arteta. But he's not a better manager than Bielsa or Carlo Ancelotti, who are ninth and 10th. And will also have aims at getting into Europe. So is Dean Smith a good enough manager to take them into Europe? To get a European spot. Because if you don't think he is. But Europe is your aim. You probably need to start looking for a new manager. If you don't think he's a manager good enough to get you into Europe. You can't complain. When he doesn't get you into Europe. It's as simple as that. We'll take a break. When we come back we'll go 10 through 1. Right, welcome back. So, we did 20 through 10. Now we'll... Sorry, 20 through 11. Now we'll start 10 through 1. Everton. First question. What's the plan? Are you going to go with more win-now type players? More of your Alans, James Rodriguez, Decoure types? Or are you going to go with more of the Ben Godfreys of this world and look to build something for the long term around Godfrey, Holgate, Dina, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison? Figure out what your plan is. Question number two is if that plan is the long term plan, is Carlo the right manager? Now, Carlo's an all-time great manager. Be under no doubt that Carlo is one of the 10 to 15 best to ever sit in a dugout. But he's never rebuilt a team before. He's never built a team before. Carlo's the type of guy that comes along, couple of tweaks, couple of additions. You go from third to first or Champions League quarterfinal to Champions League winner. That's what Carlo does. Carlo's a finishing touch type of guy. Not necessarily a, a, a team builder. You look at his career, Reggiana, one season, not building anything in one season. Went to Parma in 96, took over a really good team. Went to Juventus in 99, took over a good team, didn't get them there, gets sacked. Goes to Milan. Good team, makes them great, wins two Champions Leagues. A little bit disappointing league form. Only the one league title with Milan. But does really well. Goes to Chelsea. Already a really, really good team in place. It's already won multiple league titles. Couple of additions, couple of tweaks. Double. 
goes a year later, Paris Saint-Germain, all the money coming in, does what he does. Goes to Real Madrid, really good team that Mourinho has left behind, has won a league title there, uh, Mourinho did. Couple of tweaks, couple of additions, Champions League. Goes to Bayern. Bayern probably at that point needed to start tweaking and rejigging things after Pep. He wins the league title in his first year, but it's not an inspiring league title, and he gets sacked a couple of months into the second season after a bad defeat in the Champions League when their team was starting to look really aged. And remember, at that point, Manuel Neuer looked finished. 2016-2017, Manuel Neuer looked finished. So, you know, it is what it is. Napoli, it's a team of nearly men, a team that had been on the cusp. Sarri had built a really good team, but never quite gotten them over the hump in the in the, the league. Carlo goes there a couple of tweaks, cup editions, but doesn't get the job done. And they start to fall backwards a little bit. And now Everton, not a good team. Didn't take over a good team. Took over a mess. Seemed like a weird fit at the time. Seems like a weird fit now. If they go with win now, do they have the money to get top four? Do they have the money available to them to close the gap between where they are and fourth? Now, 10th, again, I think is a false position for them. They are better than that. Their home form screwed them this season, and they had bad injury luck. I think they're better than that. I think they're better than Leeds. I think they're better than Arsenal. I think if you played the season out 10 times again, I think they're better than West Ham. They're not better than Spurs. I think they're close enough to Leicester that Carlo is a good enough manager that they could come above Leicester. But the top four, I think there's a gulf to that. And I don't know that they have the money to do that. Mashiri's very, very wealthy. They've also got a big commitment coming up with this new stadium. So is there going to be the investment there to back Carlo? To go with the win-now approach and get players in that can get them into the Champions League? Because again, if there's not, Carlo's not the right manager. If there's a lot of money and you want to go youth, I don't know if Carlo's the right manager. If there's not the money and you have to go youth, I don't know. The, I don't definitely don't think Carlo's the right manager. Not to say he's a checkbook manager or anything like that. I just don't think it's a good fit. So they'll have to ask, they'll have to ask themselves some questions over Carlo. He's the best manager that's ever been at the club. He's not their best manager, but he is the best manager to ever work for that club. It would be a massive decision to move on from him. And you'd need to know that you were going to nail his replacement. That whoever was coming in was going to be the guy. The right one. Otherwise, it, otherwise you're losing your job as well. But what's the plan? Is there the investment? And is Carlo the right guy? They're the three questions I have for Everton. For Leeds, who finished in ninth brilliantly. Is Bielsa sticking around? It's a simple yes or no. It's a simple yes or no. I, I believe he is. Rumours are that he is. Hopefully he is. But if he's not, then what happens? But question two is, what would be the succession plan? Like, do they have a long-term view on who they would look to after Bielsa? Because it's kind of like with Wilder, maybe more than the Wilder situation, 
I think you're going to have to bring in a specific type of manager if you want to carry on what Bielsa has done and not face quite a big rebuild and having to turn over quite a bit of the squad. Because Bielsa's building a squad to play a certain way. He's about to enter year four. He's responsible for most of what's there now. He's changed an awful lot of the players that were there before him and made them into his types of players. So that's got to be asked as well. What would they do if Bielsa left? And my third question on them is, are they prepared for second season syndrome? Are they prepared to deal with adversity? Because they haven't known much adversity under Bielsa. Except once. First season he was there. They were doing brilliantly. Things started to go against them. And they struggled to correct it. Last season didn't happen. This season didn't happen. As a newly promoted team, you expect to lose quite a few games. So how will they deal with adversity? How will they deal with it if they come out and lose the first four games the next season? Will they have, I believe he will have, and I know some of the players will have, but will as a collective unit, will they have that mental toughness? Sheffield United didn't have it this year. They finished ninth as well, remember. And they were, to me, just as, if not more impressive than Leeds. Because coming out of lockdown, they had an actual opportunity at Europe. Now, I think Leeds are probably a better team than them. I think they've got more depth. But at the same time, it happened to Sheffield United. It's happened to other teams before. Could it happen to Leeds? Into the top eight then with Arsenal. So first question, are they keeping Arteta? And if so, what is wrong with them? He's clearly out of his depth. I know they won six in the row to finish the season. That's all very well and good, but there was no pressure on them. And that is always the case with Arteta. When the pressure's off, look at the end of last season. The pressure was off. They won some games. Early, Earlier this season, back in December, it looked like he was going to get sacked. It looked like he couldn't change anything. Pressure's off in that sort of circumstance. And that's the thing. If you're a manager and it looks very likely that you're going to get sacked, you can just sort of throw caution to the wind and say, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go with this. Let's try some different things. Let's let's do whatever it takes. And they won games doing that. And then again, at the end of the season, no pressure. They do well. But when the pressure's been on, when they had opportunities to do things, they've, they've bottled it, really. The FA Cup last season is the only alternative to that. And again, nobody expected them to win that final because they were playing Chelsea, who were a better team. So in a way, the pressure was off them. Arsenal are better as underdogs under Arteta and that's not Arsenal this is Arsenal football club one of the three biggest clubs in England one of the ten biggest clubs in the world the world might be a stretch definitely one of the ten best in Europe probably argue that Boca and River and a couple of Brazilian teams but that's neither here nor there Um, see how I argue with myself this is why it takes me an hour and a half to do this podcast every day I don't think Arteta's the right manager And I think they're going to miss a trick if they spend another season with him. 
because I don't know what good manager is going to be available and willing to take that job in 12 months. Second question is over the ownership. So the Cronkies are very, very unpopular among the fan base. There is a potential alternative owner out there in Daniel Eck, owner of Spotify, who has done really good PR things by, you know, going on Twitter and saying he'd be willing to buy and then getting some very popular ex-players involved. And that's all very clever. Whether it's real or not, or whether it's just to boost the stock price of Spotify, who knows. But, you know, what is the ownership going to do? Are they are they open to a sale? Is there a price where they would consider it? Do they care? I don't know. I don't know the answer to any of those questions. And then the last question I have for them is, what are you going to do with your loanees? The six guys that you had on loan last season, or that, well, take out Kalasnus, they had seven on loan, but the six guys that were on loan that can actually play football. Are they part of the squad? Are they for sale? Because all six of them, Willock, Maitland-Niles, Torreira, Guendozi, Saliba, and Mavroponis, all of them improve your squad. Every single one of them. Any one of those four midfielders would be an improvement on Granit Xhaka, or Danny Ceballos, or Moel Nenny. Any one of them. Joe Willock went on loan for half a season, scored eight goals. Eight goals on loan at Newcastle. At Newcastle. Not even with a good attacking team. With a team set up to play defensive football. With a, scene, a team set up not to lose. Not really to win, just not to lose. He scored eight goals. Arsenal only had three people who scored more goals than Joe Willock this past season. And by the way, Joe Willock scored three for Arsenal. So Joe Willock on the season, 11 goals in 31 games. Those better than him? Aubameyang, what did he cost? 60 million? He's a striker. He got 15 in 39. Nicolas Pepe, 72 million. Now, he had a good season, but 17 goals in 47. But again, he's an attacking player. And Lacazette, who cost 40 million, 17 in 43. Nobody else got more than seven. But Willock got 11 in 31 appearances. Not all of them starts either. At least eight or nine of them off the bench. So how is he not going to help? How's he not going to help? You struggle to control games in the middle of the park. Lucas Torreira is an excellent controlling midfielder. Guendouzi's a very good controlling midfielder. How are they not going to help? At times you lacked energy. Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a machine. He never stops moving. He, he's, he's a very good player. You struggled at centre-back. Saliba went to Nice and bossed games. Mavroponis went to Stuttgart and impressed everybody. You played David Luiz half the season. I, I just don't... I don't know what Arteta does 
when he sits at home and thinks about his squad. But like the fact that in the Premier League, Granit Xhaka played 31 games and Rob Holding played 30. In 29 and 28 starts. Both of them among the four top appearance makers in all competitions for Arsenal. Shambles. Shambles. There are years of evidence that Granit Xhaka is not a good Premier League player. David Luiz made 30 appearances for you. Been three years since he was halfway useful. The best season of his life was in the middle of a back three under Conte. You don't play a back three. Why is he in the team? Why did you buy him in the first place? Arsenal such a stupid club. Let's move on. To their North London rivals uh, and also rivals for, you know, the most mediocre team in London. Um, Tottenham Hotspur. First question, who's going to be the manager? So yesterday, Sky reported that Roberto Martinez is in talks. Now, Alistair Gould, who I think is the best on Tottenham, he says no. He says he's not someone they're looking at now. He is someone they've looked at in the past. Rumours are that the manager they're looking at, the manager they think they can get, is somebody they will have to back. That indicates it's a top-level manager. Again, I've mentioned Allegri before. It could be him. The other person it could be, and this is more of a long shot, is Antonio Conte, who is rumoured to be on the verge of leaving into Milan. And while you may think that's a weird appointment, it may be a difficult fit with him and Daniel Levy, but Antonio Conte is a proven winner. He's a serial winner. Titles at Juve, title with Chelsea, title with Inter Milan. He's a serial winner. Plays the back three. So let's look at Spurs' squad. The right wing, the right backs they have, Darty and Aurier, they're both wing backs. They're not full backs, they're wing backs. Regulon is not a full back, he's a wing back. Ryan Sessignon is a wingback. So they've got four wingbacks. Sorted. Toby Alderweireld struggling in a four. But his career could be extended in a five. In a, in a back three. In a three-man central defence. Look at how Stefan de Vries, who had serious knee injuries and was struggling towards the end at Lazio, has gotten another lease of life at Inter under Conte in the back three. So what they need is they need two flanking centre-backs. Eric Dyer could be your backup in the in the central role. Ben Davies is your backup on the left. Joe Roden is the backup on the right. That means you can either start Davinson Sanchez, who's done well in a three before, because Potts used to play a three at times before he got scared of it. So you could play Davinson there, or you could look to sell him and bring someone else in. You definitely need a left-sided one. There's rumours that Samuel Umtiti is available on a song from Barcelona. Now, he's injury-prone, but he's an, an immense defender. Like, top, top drawer defender. So maybe you could bring him in. If not, Abdou Diallo, like I've mentioned before, would be perfect. You need two flanking centre-backs. That's fine. Heusberg and Endembele, ideal. He loves Winks. He loves Skip. Sissoko might not be switched on enough for him, but you never know. He might like him. I think he'd like LaCelso. I think he'd I think he'd find a pair in midfield that worked for him. He'd love Kane. 
look what he's done for Lukaku. I think he'd, he'd love Kane. I think Kane would love him. He'd love Son. Son in that Lautaro Martinez role. And then you've got the Deli Ali question. Does he play him as a midfielder? Does he play him in attack? Does he play him at all? Does he want him? Um, he'd love Bergvine. He'd love more a pace and, pace and work rate. He loves those type of players. Don't think he'd have much interest in Gareth Bale. But that squad is not far away. Now, they need a goalkeeper and two centre-backs. They need that anyway. But at least if you had Conte, you'd have a great manager. This man won a league title with Victor Moses starting as a right wing-back. Victor Moses. And David Luiz as a player of the season contender at centre-back under him. Conte wins. Conte gets you top four. If they get Conte, they're going to be a force. They may not. They may go Allegri. They could go somebody completely different. But who's the new manager going to be is the first big question for Spurs. Second question is, what will the investment level be? And if it's Conte, you're going to have to make him promises. He's going to want certain things. If it's any top manager, they're going to want certain things. No top manager is going to look at that job if they're told, right, by the way, it's it's sell to buy. Oh, and Harry Kane might leave. So the third question is, what happens with Harry Kane? I think if Conte goes there, he'll stick around. I don't think he'll want to miss out on the opportunity to work with Conte. Notice that the Kane stuff about leaving only came out when Mourinho left. He was happy enough to be there when Mourinho was there because he was a top manager and he was happy to work with him. I think he'd be happy to work with Conte. I think he'd look around, see Conte's track record, see what he's done for strikers in the past, for the likes of Tevez, for the likes of Lukaku, reinvigorated them, gave them more of their careers. Um... West Ham finished sixth. So, question one, can they sustain what they did last season? Can they become a regular in, not just the the European spots, but in the top half, say? That's my first question for them. Second question is, what level of investment will there be now? Will they back David Moyes? Will they say, oh, you missed Champions League, so we're not going to back you to the extent we would have? Or will they be real about it for once? They're bad owners. They have been bad owners, but they do have deep enough pockets and maybe, just maybe, they'll give Moyes the type of money they've given managers in the past. And then the third question is Declan Rice. Does he want to stay? Is there a buyer out there for him at the money West Ham would want? How does the Declan Rice thing work out? If he sticks around, how long does he stick around? Can you afford to build around him knowing that he could leave? They need to answer that question. Top five. So fifth, Leicester. First question. There's less questions about Leicester than I think about anybody else, other than City, maybe. Um, first question I have for Leicester is, is Yuri Thielemann staying? He seemed to say goodbye after the game on Sunday. He seemed to go out by himself, do a lap and say goodbye to the fans. Now, I, I think it would be a massive loss if he left. I'd love to see him stay, I think. With Sumari, who's been pretty much announced today, uh, Mo Bufasa, Bufasi rather, uh, breaking that news. Um, that's a great addition. Ndidi, Tielemans and Sumari with Madison, that's a great midfield group. A great midfield group. So it would be a shame to see him leave. But if he does leave, do they replace him? Is Sumari the replacement? What do they do there? How do they reinvest that money? Remember, they didn't invest... A lot of the Maguire money, a lot of that got banked. They did invest quite a bit of the Chilwell money. Um, but again, what will they do with the, 
the Thielemann situation, does he have a Champions League release clause? Because if he doesn't, I don't think he leaves. If he doesn't have a clause in his contract where he can go for, say, 50, 60 million, I don't think he leaves. So I don't think anyone will spend 80 million on a central midfielder this summer other than Camavinga, potentially, if PSG buy him. And even that, I don't think he'll be that price. Second question is, how do you address the Jamie Vardy situation? Now, Jamie Vardy is 34, pushing 35. Obviously, still a very important player, still a very good player. But he hasn't had a particularly good season. He did score 15 goals. A lot of them were penalties. He had a long drought without goals. His availability is going to become a concern. He's a player that relies on his pace. And as he ages, that's going to, he's not as quick now as he was, say, the year they won the league. So how do they address Vardy? How do they get a long-term successor for Vardy in without putting Vardy's nose out of joint? I think that's something that need needs to be considered. And then Brendan Rodgers. So obviously he's been linked with Tottenham. I think if Arsenal were to bin off Arteta, I think he'd be linked there. I think if United were to make a change for Oli, I think he'd be linked there. I don't think he'd get the United job. But I could definitely see him getting offered one of the North London jobs. I could see him having a lot of interest, regardless of what he says publicly about being 200% committed. He was 200% committed to Celtic as well. And then he binned them off in the middle of the season and went to, went to Leicester. So does he want to stay long-term? What jobs are on his list that he would take? Because the only way he gets a big six job is when they're not in a good place. He only got the Liverpool job because Liverpool were a train wreck. And the only way he gets either the Arsenal or Tottenham job is if they're also in a bad situation. Same with Chelsea, same with United, same with City. He won't get the Liverpool job again. I also have questions over whether or not he has what it takes to see out a job. And by that I mean when the pressure's on and you're fighting for top four, a title, whatever, can you get the job done? Because I now have Multiple examples of Brendan not being able to get the job done. If we take a look at this season just gone, they had top four, for all intents and purposes, wrapped up. Miles ahead of Liverpool with 10 games left and completely bottled their end of season. Finished with half the points from the last 10 games that Liverpool got. Half. Last season, it was even worse. They had over a 99% chance of finishing third, let alone, oh, sorry, of finishing top four, and like a 97% chance of finishing third when football restarted after Project Restart. Bottled it, finished fifth. At Liverpool, he had the title in his hands with three games to go. All he had to do was draw with Chelsea beat Crystal Palace and beat Newcastle. That's it. That's all he had to do. He lost to Chelsea. He drew a Crystal Palace. His arrogance overtook him against Chelsea and against Crystal Palace, Liverpool started chasing the game. They were 3-0 up and started pushing for goals and more goals and more goals and more goals. And you can even look back 
to when he was at Swansea. The 2010-2011 season. They're second in the table with 12 games to go. They lose four, draw three, and win only five. At one point, they actually drop to fifth in the table. They end up bouncing back and finishing third. They came up through the playoffs. But at the same time, they should have come up automatically. They finished four points behind Norwich. If they'd won a couple of those games they lost, turned a couple of those draws into wins, they would have come up automatically. When the pressure was on, when he was in control, crumbled. So that's four examples of Brendan Rodgers failing to get things done through the last 10 to 12 games of a season, or in one case, the last three games of a season. Chelsea. Is Thomas Tuchel the long-term fit? He's got 12 months left in his deal at the end of this year. Now, we've seen him do very, very well, and then we've seen him do not so well. Lost an FA Cup final they should have won. Fell backwards into the Champions League because Leicester decided they wanted it less and bottled it more. Should have had that sewn up. Should have won the FA Cup. Champions League final to come this weekend. If he wins, all questions go away. He is the guy. You give him a new deal, you stick with him. But he's only got 12 months left after this year. And if he loses that Champions League final, I do start to wonder, you know, what kind of rope is he going to give him? Is he guaranteed all of next season? Is he able to go and start to reshape things and, and start to do his thing? I think the Thiago Silva question needs to be answered. He has not been nearly as good as people have made him out to be. They've been protecting him by playing pace on either side of him. They've moved Reese James from wing back to centre back just to have the pace next to Silva. That is not because Reese James offers something great in attack or because he's a good defender. It's because he, they need his pace there. Same thing with Rudiger. Rudiger was out of the picture. Zuma was playing better. Rudiger's quicker, brought back in for the recovery pace. Silva is a liability defensively. And if teams pick at him, they expose him. We've seen him being sent off. We've seen him capitulate in multiple games. I think they need to look at an address, look at addressing what happens with Silva next year. If he sticks around, how often is he going to play? And if he's not playing, who is playing? Their defense needs work. I think that's where they start. And then the strategy. And by that, what I mean is, in terms of what shape, what style, and then what do they need? How are you going to play? Why are you playing that way? And what do you need to play that way? Do they need a number nine? Because in my view, and I've said this before, if they're going to play the four, the 3-4-3, the three, three, I don't think they need a number nine. I think Havertz can be the nine. Pulisic on the right, Werner on the left, Zayic, Hudson-Odoi. And maybe you bring in a young depth nine. If you're, if you're selling Tammy and Giroud leaves, Maybe you bring in a young depth nine. Now, I'd try and keep Giroud. I think he's valuable. You keep him as the backup to Kai. Can play a similar style. Do a lot of the same things. Obviously, more of a nine than Kai, who's more naturally a kind of a, a ten. But I think in terms of hold up play, link play, Giroud is excellent. He could fit in well there. So, that's what I want to ask. Um, Liverpool finished third. How much investment is there going to be? Is question one. Jurgen Klopp deserves a big summer. He deserves to be backed fully. 
to have gotten third, given everything he's just been through with that team, it was a miracle. It speaks volumes of how weak the rest of the league is, but it speaks volumes of how good a manager he is. So how much investment is there going to be? Is he going to have to sell to buy? Over the last two windows, now remember, Jurgen Klopp won a Champions League and a Premier League title. And over the windows since then, Liverpool have a net spend of about £7 million. That is appalling. No manager has won so much and been back so little. Second question, what happens with the midfield? We know Thiago's a starter. We know Fabinho's a starter. Now, Jordan Henderson is massively injury-prone. Has been for pretty much Klopp's entire time at the club. Constant injuries. Oftentimes, they're short-term, one game here, two games there, whatever. But in the last year and a half to two years, it's just been one thing after another. He's had, he had six injuries in a 12-month period. He missed 25 games this season. Now, he wouldn't have played in all of them. There's maybe three or four he wouldn't have played in. But he still missed over 20 games this season. Um, he's 31. So he's not to be reluctant. He also doesn't play well on the left-hand side of a midfield three. And Thiago is much better than him on the right-hand side of a midfield three. And Thiago is better on the right than he is on the left. So if you play Thiago on the left, you're asking him to be out of position or, or in a less favourable position just to get Henderson in. There will be games that needs to happen, and that's fine. But I think he's better as a situational midfielder. Milner, we shouldn't see him very much anymore. He just can't run anymore. Uh, Naby Keita can't stay fit. Thiago has had fitness problems, injury problems. Fabinho the same. Oxley chamberlain the same. Curtis Jones very young. The only reliable midfielder Liverpool have had from a fitness point of view and an availability point of view, point of view has been Ginny Wijnaldum, who's now gone. So... Who do they look to bring in to replace him? What do they look to bring in to replace him? Do they want a like-for-like, like like a Basuma? Do they want a more attack-minded player? Do they want someone like Thielemans who can do everything? I think that's a big question. What do they do to address the midfield? Do they move to 4-2-3-1? They're still going to need to bring in a body if they do that, but it's less important than it's, it's not a starter you need. It's just someone that can be fit. You could bring in a Sander Berger, perhaps, as a squad player. You could bring back Marco Grujic as a squad player. And then my third question is, did Sadio Mane just have a bad season or is he declining? So Roberto Firmino had a bad season as well. He ended the season very well, but he had a bad season overall. That's two bad seasons in a row for Firmino. For Mane, this is the first time we've seen him have a poor season. Now, he still put up numbers. I think he was 16 goals, 9 assists across all competitions. But he was nowhere close to the same level as he had been in previous years. Nowhere close. So, that's a big question mark. Is he, next season, are you going to get Sadio Mane from 2016 to 2020? Or are you going to get Sadio Mane of last season? Um, Manchester United, three questions. Number one. How committed are you to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? If you're fully committed, I think it's time to do a new contract. I think you have to make sure he knows he's the man. You have to give him that stability and give the club that stability. Number two, what kind of investment are you then going to make? Traditionally, when United have top four, the Glazers don't like to spend. They did the summer they brought Mourinho in. That was because it was Mourinho. 
if Oli wins the Europa League, does he then have some sort of clout to go and start making demands? Maybe not if he's also trying to get a new contract. And question three then is Pogba. Year left on his deal. Underperformed since joining. One good season out of what's now five. Has had injuries. Attitude problems. His agent's a pain in the backside. Do they extend him? In which case they'll have to up his wages. He's already underperformed one contract. He will absolutely underperform the second contract. But there's no way he's not getting a big pay rise. Mino Riola won't stand for it. Do they sell him? What's his value? Was he 28? Great player. On his day. Phenomenal. Fantastic talent. Great talent. Not a great player. Great player on his day. 60 million? 50 million? What's your, what's your pinch point? Not a lot of clubs can afford him. In terms of wages. Real, Barca, Juve, PSG. Well, Barca don't have any money. Real don't have much money. Juve don't have much money. Do PSG want him? Would he want to go there? If he did, maybe you can get 60, 70 million. Maybe you can convince him to take De Gea off your hands as well. Pogba and Neymar. Imagine. No substance. Just loads of vibes. Vibes everywhere. And Manchester City. There's no real questions to add. The only real question I had on this one was what they do in attack. We know they've been linked to Harry Kane. But do they want Harry Kane? Do they want a striker? Or do they want just another goal scorer, like a goal scoring wide man? Someone to come in, play wide left, wide right and add 15 goals a season. Oyarzabal, for example. Someone like him. Or do they want a, a 30 goal a season striker? That's the only real question. The only other questions I have are, if they win the Champions League, will the ownership continue to show the level of interest in Manchester City as a single entity? Or will the focus shift to the bigger City football group and investing more money into other parts of it? And trying to grow the whole thing. If City win the Champions League. It's kind of job done. That's kind of what the whole thing was set up to do there. They probably will. It's just a thought. And the other question then is. Will Pep stick around? Now I know he signed the extension. But his contract was due to run out this season. And I don't think he fancied them to win the Champions League this season. If they do win it. Again it's kind of mission accomplished. So how long does he stick around for? One more year, two more years? Would he extend beyond the current contract? I don't think so. Certainly not if they've won the Champions League. So I do think if they win it, it sets the timer, it sets the clock ticking on his departure. And that's all 20 clubs. That is all the questions I have. For all 20 clubs. We'll very quickly wrap up. With the gossip as I like to do. Uh, Tottenham and Everton are keen on. Crystal Palace's. Wilfred Zaha. Who is available for 40 million. 
Uh, I would want change if I was giving Palace 40 million for Zaha at this point. Uh, I think Everton's an interesting one. The idea of him and Richarlison either side of Calvert-Lewin. I think you'd have to play Zaha off the right, though. I don't think don't think Richarlison would be all that effective off the right. Maybe he would. I don't know. I don't think he would. I don't think he would. Um, again, for Tottenham, if he goes Tottenham, he's playing right wing because Son plays off the left. He'd be a good signing for either of those. I think a better signing for Everton. I think Everton are more more his level. I think Everton's kind of where he maxes out. I think Spurs might be a step too far. Um, Tottenham are in talks with uh, Roberto Martinez. Turns out they're not. Inter Milan manager Antonio Conte led the club to the Serie A title, but he could leave within the next 48 hours. And that is now 20, about 31 hours from when that came out. Um, Wolves are prepared to sell Ruben Neves. I spoke about this yesterday. Apparently, they won't be forced to sell him, but they could listen to offers as it would allow them to rebuild their squad. I'm not really sure it would. I'm not really sure 35 million allows you to rebuild your squad. I think you've got other players you could sell if you wanted to do something along those lines. Less players that would be less important. If you sell Neves, you're going to spend 25 million getting a replacement for him. Because Jean Matinho is 35 going 36. So who else do you have in midfield? Then Donker's not that type of player. Gibbs White doesn't look ready. No, no, no. I wouldn't be selling him personally. Um, Brazilian midfielder Philip Coutinho will be among 10 players to be transfer listed by Barcelona this summer. Yeah, the best of luck getting any money from, though. Nobody's given you a whole lot of much for him. I, poor Coutinho. What, what a disastrous way for his career to work out. Uh, Barcelona and Manchester City are among the clubs interested in Atalanta's German defender, Robin Golsons. Um, Barcelona don't have the money for him. He'd be a, an interesting fit at City. Obviously, they could do with a left-back, and he's a great attacking left-back. I'm not sure if him and Joe Canseo in a four would work very well, though. I think you'd have to move to a back three and play wing-backs. I think you'd get torn apart if the two of them were your full-backs. Neither of them can defend. Um, Arsenal and Aston Villa will go head-to-head to sign Emi Buendia. I, I assume for Villa it would be as a Grealish replacement. I can't imagine Grealish and Buendia trying to share one football. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. But for Arsenal... I mean, I'd rather just turn the team over to Smith Rowe and buy another winger to play out wide. But yeah, I mean, he he could make sense if they if they're not keeping Odegaard and they want to play with two mid uh, two playmaking midfielders. Uh, Brazilian forward Willian is keen on return to Chelsea. Uh, I said this would be a disaster. It's been a disaster, but there's not a hope Chelsea will want him back. Chelsea could be willing to sell Callum Hudson Odoi with Borussia Dortmund, a potential destination. Dortmund may also consider Rafinha. Well, first of all, Dortmund aren't going to spend the type of money it would take to get either of them. Uh, the only way Hudson-Odoi goes to Dortmund is if Sancho goes to the way, and I don't think that's going to happen. So, no, I'm going to call that nonsense uh, from Eurosport. Uh, West Ham are interested in Spartak Moscow and the Czech Republic midfielder Alex Kral. Don't know a whole bunch about him. But West Ham have had uh, quite good luck with, with Czech midfielders. They do need a midfielder. Absolutely no question they need a midfielder in because after Suchek and Declan Rice, the cupboard is very, very bare. 
and you end up playing Mark Noble, who's 163 years of age and hasn't been good in about four. He's a defensive midfielder, according to Transfer Market. Um, 23 years of age. Decent level of experience. Was at Slavia Prague, where they love to shop. Makes sense. Makes sense. And it could be a Declan Rice replacement. Could be someone to complement Rice and Suchek in rotation. That's fine. Um, Villarreal's Spanish defender, Pau Torres, has refused to discuss speculation linking him with a move to Manchester United before the Europa League final tonight. Uh, I, I don't know how through it is, but I've been told that there's more to it than speculation, that he has had talks with them or that they've had talks with his agent or, or something. United journalist told me that that is a deal that United are pushing for this summer, that he is the first choice centre-back, not anybody else, because I don't think they'll get Varane and Jules Koundé will be too expensive. United have agreed a deal to sign Tom Heaton on a free. Makes sense. I assume Grant will leave. I assume Romero will leave. I don't know if he's going to be third choice or second choice. If he's going there to be third choice, he'll be the best third choice keeper in the league by quite a margin. Uh, Liverpool and England under-21 defender Reese Williams is likely to be lo- loaned out. This is news because you've got nothing else to write about. Of course he's going to get loaned out. He's hardly going to play. Um, Arsenal's Uruguay midfielder Lucas Torreira will decide his future after next month's World Cup qualifiers. He spent the season on loan with Letico Madrid. They should be keeping him. He could help massively. Um, the Gunners could reignite their interest in Hossim Auer from Lille. He's apparently available for around $25 million. That's ridiculous if it's true. Roma are interested in Damari Gray, who has a buyout of €2 million. Euros. I'm going to call nonsense on the buyout, and I'm going to call nonsense on Mourinho wanting Damari Gray. I can't imagine many players that would frustrate Mourinho more than Damari Gray. Rogers lost patience with him. Don't see it happening. Uh, and finally, France midfielder Eduardo Camavinga wants to join PSG and Ren want €100 million Euro for the 18-year-old as contract runs out next summer. Um, I would imagine he just wants to go to a top club. I don't know that he necessarily would want to go just to PSG because he was very strongly linked with Real Madrid. And when that was going on, he only wanted to go to Real Madrid. Prior to that, he only wanted to join Barcelona. So I think he just wants to move to a top club where he can play with top players. And Ren, if they think they're going to get 100 million euros, allow me to paraphrase John Henry and say, what are they smoking over there? That's it. That's the show. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Foxhunt. Thank you to you. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.